0: Varmt välkommen till vårens avsnitt av HR digitaliseringspodden med mig Anna Karlsson. Idag så har jag utländskt besök i podden. Och det är Stacy Harris som är HR-tech analytiker. Den officiella titeln är Chief Research Officer and Managing Partner på Sapient Insight Group. Varför jag har bjudit in Stacy är för att jag har följt henne nu under, ungefär fem års tid och. Hon levererar tillsammans med sina kollegor en fantastisk rapport över hur det står till på marknaden för ORtech. Och vad de gör annorlunda än alla andra rapporter jag tittar på, det är att det är era röster som hörs i rapporten. Så det handlar om att under 25 års tid så har hon och hennes föregångare samlat in data från kunder eller från de som använder HR Tech och aggregerat och satt ihop och följer då trenderna för ja vem är det som använder tech? Hur ser det ut? Vad använder man för någonting? Så det är inte bara till exempel HR-systemet utan det kommer in på andra områden som analys och learning och så vidare. Och tillbaka till det viktiga här. Det är att man alltså frågar kunden. Och jag har ju idag bjudit in henne för att diskutera lite grann kring innehållet i rapporten. Just nu är den ju förstås USA-tung. Men jag har en ambition att jag och Stacey tillsammans ska se till att vi får en rapport för Sverige. Och det betyder att vi vill ha dig med, dig som lyssnar. Du som har ett ansvar för er hr miljo eller den som har koll på den. Och vi pratar om det i rapporten. Vem är det som besvarar den här rapporten? Vad innehåller den? Och en hel del andra saker. Så, om du är intresserad av att vara med så ska du ju förstås signa upp för att få länken till den och besvara den så fort som möjligt när den kommer ut. Det är en ganska stor frågebas, eller det är många frågor helt enkelt. Men man får ju också ut värde av att diskutera det här internt. Vad är det egentligen vi har för de olika områdena? Så man får också en väldigt bra bild över vad man själv har för HR-tech i sin organisation. Så, nu så startar vi avsnittet för idag. Och jag vill gärna att ni som sagt läser rapporten. Och självklart finns det en länk i poddtexten. Och om det är någonting du undrar över och vill fråga om i rapporten- så har jag läst den flera gånger, de tidigare och nu den här den 25 omgången. Så då är det bara att höra av sig. Eller som Stacey säger i avsnittet, hör av er direkt till Stacey. Om du vill ta steg framåt och behöver en partner att diskutera med- så kan du nu boka digitala coachingtimmar med mig- Det kan vara allt från att du inte hinner med att tänka ut vad som är smartast för er att göra. Att du har svårt att få ihop ett business case som visar på värdet av den förändring du vill genomföra. Eller att du helt enkelt inte har tid att hålla dig ajour med möjligheterna och vill ha en erfaren person att diskutera med. Du kan läsa mer om erbjudandet på länken i poddavsnittstexten eller på vår hemsida under nyheter. HR är den första globala leverantören där du kan hantera alla dina medarbetare i ett enda system. Med deal HR kan du anställa vem som helst, var som helst, med bara några knapptryck. Du får ett smart system där du hanterar både anställda och alla dina konsulter. Med deal HR får du hjälp med allt annat krångligt som hjälp med visum, kontor och utrustning när företaget expanderar internationellt. Deal HR hanterar också alla dina löner var som helst i världen via en kontakt utan en massa lokala lönehanteringsbolag. Allt via Deals globala payroll-funktion. Deal erbjuder nu dig, lyssnare, att anställa en person gratis via Deals plattform. Skicka ett mejl till hey med titeln Deal för att ta del av erbjudandet. Detta gäller under hela 2023. So, hi and welcome to my podcast, the name poddam but that's probably a bit difficult for you. <laughs> so, hi St- Stacy. how are you doing today? Where are you sitting today? I'm doing well. I'm uh, in my office in
1: uh, the United States, in North Carolina. If anybody knows kind of the East Coast area, I live in a, a little town outside of uh, the East Coast on Raleigh, Durham in North Carolina. So, um, we have nice, beautiful Spring weather here, uh the flowers are blooming, so I can't complain I, i'm I'm in a good spot, not traveling this week
0: <laughs> great so and it's so good to have you on the podcast i I would like to start by asking you to introduce yourself in uh, the best way you can uh, and how you became an analyst. Yes,
1: yeah, so that's always an intriguing conversation. Right? I think you and I started one of our first conversations was. You know, what is an analyst? Right, it's always the question I get. Um, so yeah, I'm currently I am, and hopefully will be for quite some time, the chief research officer at Sapien Insights Group, as well as a managing partner. So I it is my own company, owned women led business um, with my partners uh, Terry Zipper and Susan Richardson. Uh, we started the organization about two and a half years. I'm almost going on three years now. Um, just at the the heart of the um, 2020 pandemic for many organizations, uh, we uh, spun off what was a longstanding research function that I had been working with for a company called Sierra Cedar and um, joined it with uh, Susan Richards' company, which was an advisory services firm that had been doing sort of change management and consulting and advisory around HR technology um, and combined the two entities um, to create what is now and Insights Group. And um, and I've been having a, a, a really great time understanding sort of how I can take the research that I've been doing for a very long time and expand on its access across very different markets, including global. Um, but also learning how to be a small business owner, which has been a bit interesting because I've always worked inside of companies and not own my own business. So that's put a new spin on my thinking about um, HR technology as well. Prior to that, as I had mentioned, I Uh, owning my own business and running Sapient Insights Group and being a chief researcher there, I was an industry analyst and a researcher at large corporations. So one of them was CR Cedar, which is where I started the big annual HR system survey about eight years ago. I I took that over from Lexi Martin. Some people might know her name. She had ran it for about 10 years before that uh, for me. And then, um, prior to that, I was at other analyst firms that the people might know, like, um, Brandon Hall group and uh, Burson associates. I was Josh Burson's 13th employee, good friend still of mm-hmm. Josh. And, um, so before that then, and that was my research career and my an- analyst career before that I was a practitioner, much like any other people who might be on the line listening. I was, um, started out in training and development, got my degree in, in instructional technology actually, um, design and developed and ran, uh, learning functions and then started into organizational effectiveness and then talent management. And, you know, from there just kind of snowballed into doing a lot of HR, um, technology and, uh, system implementations inside of big companies, um, in the United States and internationally. Um, when I left that, I, it was, um, well, probably where a lot of people might be at today. I was actually laid off, um, back in 2008 <laughs> during the last, uh, um, timeframe when we all sort of were struggling with the economic times, um, I was laid off and I was, I had to make a big decision at that point in time. Do I kind of continue on the path that I've been on, which has been sort of a manager and leader inside of HR functions, or did I take a leap of faith and start working for a very small company at that point in time, uh, which only had, I, as I said, I was a 13th employee and start doing this really neat thing that I had always wanted to be a writer and always had wanted to do sort of research in the space. Um, and that was Burson and & Associates. And mm-hmm. so I got a chance to start um, doing surveys and interviews and talking to a lot of companies about what they were doing. And that's how I became an industry analyst. And for those who might not understand what an industry analyst is, it's sort of a mix between sort of like a journalist, but in a specific industry, and a subject matter expert kind of all tied into one. So uh, we are, depending on who the analyst is, um, the goal is as much as possible to be vendor neutral. Um, And uh, that's always a tough thing because it it is this very challenging world where you're always talking to the vendors about the work they're doing. They're showing you what their products are. They're trying to make sure you understand because then you write about it and you do a lot of evaluations for organizations around what type of products they need but you also have to listen to the practitioners and what their challenges are and what their needs are. And then you also have to listen to oftentimes the investment community who's talking about what they're trying to buy and where the market's at. And so an industry analyst tends to be kind of that in-between role. And what most organizations and most people find is that they're looking for an analyst who they trust. And Hmm. so what it comes down to is building your brands that you have um, trust, making sure that you are always upfront and transparent about um, you know where your data comes from and how your data should be used and uh, making sure that you're always neutral in your um, fact sharing and your information that you're sharing to the market. Um, and so that's really what I've been doing for the last 15 years. It's a very different role. And a lot of people sort of are like, it's not quite an influencer, but that's what a lot of mm-hmm. people sometimes think it is, especially vendors who like to like, well, why can't you say something nice about my product? I'm like, <laughs> well, I'm not here to be influencer. I'm here to actually give the facts about what's going on. Hmm. Um, and it's not quite a journalist either, because you are um, doing things that you you have to figure out sort of how to help the buyer make decisions. And that's that's not always just about sharing facts. That's about getting data around what the buyer needs. And so it's it's been an interesting road for me to travel. So that was a very long um, explanation. So hopefully it wasn't too long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting to listen because that's part of what, what I do in the smaller uh, area of Sweden versus uh, globally or U.S. from the beginning, I, I assume, and then and globally. But it's still that um, balance between uh, listening to vendors and to clients and understanding. So you're moving in between all of these roles all the time. Yeah. So I recognize it even in my smaller little world. (laughs)
1: And I think, you know, you know, everyone who, who is in these roles, you know, that's what I always tell people is that um, there are some analysts who make their bones or make their, make their, their, their brand off of being sort of mean and, you know, kind of always saying really tough things in the market. Right. Um, And there's some who are, you know, sort of say really nice things about everybody and, and sort of, there's no, you can't really tell sort of the differentiation between what they're saying and, and the marketing that's coming out of, of some of the vendors. And I think it's a really hard balance to say, I need to figure out what's good, but I'm also not here to, to um, I, you know, I think my sense of the market is that there is a vendor for every customer and a customer for every vendor. I really have found there, there have been a very few times in my life where I've got, I've gone into a, as an analyst and gone into an organization, wow, nobody should buy this product. I mean, there have been one or two, but not many. Um, But I always also say that, you know, what I am really find critical, and I think all the people out listening probably know this because they've bought products probably from time to time that didn't fit them, is that when someone gets influenced to buy a product that isn't right for them, it doesn't just hurt the buyer, it hurts the vendor as well. Mm -hmm. Because the vendor's trying to twist or move or do things, or they get bad reviews that don't really meet sort of the things that they actually do do well it's kind of like you know being in a, in a really bad relationship right yeah <laughs> so I think it's important for us to actually do the kind of work that we do because there is an important sort of matchmaking role in it right
0: yeah, it's interesting because everyone I meet from locally here that develops different solutions, they're all so passionate about their why. And we all have to remember that, that they have their why and we have to understand it to choose the right one for us, depending on what organization we are and what results we are looking for. So, yeah, very interesting. So before we jump into, because you have a very big uh, client perspective on your research, yeah. um, but I would like to ask, how would you describe digitalization for an HR person? And what is really then the difference with HR digitalization?
1: Oh, that's such a tough question, right? Because I think the whole world sometimes gets caught up on this digitization, which it is an important and critical word, Right. Because um, I do think that there's a lot of companies that still run many things in a manual way, right even though they might be using technology, they still run it the same way they did before they just have a technology maybe doing it instead of you know um, people. And I think you know my sense of, of sort of the going to the next generation of digital is that you are not just using technology to to do things faster, but you're using technology to enhance or optimize the work that you're doing, right? And I think that's probably the the difference between just automation, which is what we see most HR technology doing, and the the next digital generation, right? Because if you think about where we were at, say for smartphones, right? I used this example just the other day I was talking to someone and I said, you know, I got my first smartphone, I remember I um I had a family member who got hurt in a car accident. And I remember looking at that smartphone and it was back in the day of the BlackBerry. So I, you know, it was one of those old ones. And I remember I, th- I was like, I don't know how to make a phone call on this because it was just, it, you know my, my rote memory wasn't quick enough to sort of remember how to, that I had to tap the screen and do this and do that. And I remember thinking, boy, this thing is a terrible phone, right? <laughs> <laughs> and if we had judged it based on what we thought about a phone should be, we may have never gotten to where we've gotten to with smartphones, which are now sort of information tools for us. And I think it's the same thing with the digitization when we think about it across all of our businesses. If we judge all the technology on how well it automates what we used to do, oftentimes it comes out lacking. But if we look at where we could be or what our possibilities are, oftentimes that's where where I think it's really exciting. Uh, the only thing that I would also say about digitization is that one of the things that we've seen in our data and in other data where we've done with us, uh, some research with some other organizations is that Digital organizations, the next generation of digital organizations, are much more likely to be more comfortable with risk taking and focusing on innovation, which is kind of that process I was talking about. And that's hard when you're when you're especially if you're a more mature organization and um, you're very conservative in how you think about how you have to manage data and and how data will flow across your organization. And it means you have to have people who really understand data inside of your business. And we oftentimes haven't done a good job of that in HR. We haven't um, created HR um, development and education programs and HR um, conversations that focus on being data forward as much as people forward. We know mm-hmm. it's important to be people forward. We talk about being being human. And we talk about being um. um good with our empathy and good with our storytelling, we very rarely talk about understanding where data comes from, how to value it, how to understand it. Um, That isn't something we teach in a lot of our courses or universities or certifications effectively. Um, And I think that that is a real gap for the HR community.
0: Hmm. Agree. (laughs) Thank you so much. So I'm thinking about we should jump into the um, report that you uh, publish every year. I came across it the first time I was at HR Tech. That was about four or five years ago. So then I listened to you for the first time and I tried to dig into it and understand it. But I would let you describe what is this uh, fantastic report that I've just read the last week from Page one to one seventy four or something.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Don't scare anybody about how long the pages are. <laughs> I always tell people, I'm like, like download it and then sit with it. Don't get scared by how big it is. So this report is is now in its twenty fifth year. So that's the, that's probably the most important thing to know about it is that it was started in nineteen ninety seven by Lexi Martin as a small report on this new thing back then called HR self service and people didn't even understand what self-service was or the fact that we were going to be giving applications access to employees. Um, And they were trying to understand um, at that point in time, it actually was a very global company called the Hunter group. Um, That's who was sponsoring it or who was Lexi was working for. And the Hunter group basically said, we need to understand this new technology because it's very different from what we've been putting in place for the last 10 or 15 years. And What's, what's really nice is that Lexi then continued that same survey with different questions, but, but a lot of the, like, so we, we would change like half of the questions and then keep some of the new ones every year um, for 17 years. And then I came along and she wanted to move into a new role in a new organization. And she really wanted to find another analyst to own it, not just, you know, because there's a lot of surveys that get done every year. Deloitte does really big surveys and PWC and, you know, individuals, um, consulting firms do. Um, uh, surveys, but no one had done this sort of year over year, some of the same questions. And so what she was looking for was someone who would respect the fact that this had, um, when we look at research longitudinal data, basically the ability to look back year over year at how things had changed. And I was thrilled by it because I had been working with a lot of research firms at that point in time, and they were always a point in time look, right? We were able just to say a survey about what was going on in performance management at this time or what was doing, what was happening and learning at this point in time. And those are always really good, but <clears throat> you get such a different perspective when you kind of step back and look across. And so um, I um, took up the mantle of this research and I expanded it so that it covered, because at that point in time it was really just for large organizations because that's who, all of who was buying HR technology at the time. Um, I expanded it down to the smallest companies in the market and expanded the Kind of applications that we're asking. So we now ask, um, it's a survey that is now in its 25th year, and I've run it for the last 10 years. And um, it basically covers 56 different applications that we consider under the HR technology framework um, that are large enough that large and small corporations are, are both buying them, right? And it covers over, we have, Counted 250 different vendors who get evaluated in our survey for all of those various 56 different applications. And then basically every year we ask not only what people are using in their HR technology, how they're using it, what goes around it. Um, so, what practices of change management, what strategy do you have in place, what business outcomes are you getting? Um, we then also ask about emerging technologies because there's a lot of new things that are happening that aren't completely um, out in the market. So it really becomes a very large survey. We break all the rules when it comes to survey taking. But then every year we publish the full report and share the aggregate findings with the entire community. If you participate in the survey, you get those findings early. Plus you get a mini benchmark that is only specifically for you that can be done by region or industry or size. And you also get to be part of our community where we share a lot of information on an ongoing basis that comes out of that data on a regular basis. But our thinking is that this has been a, a community effort for a very long time, and we want to continue to make it a community effort. And so we launch it every year at the big HR technology conference in the US. But then throughout the year, I do sessions at, um I've done them at the Unleash, at the HR Tech Europe events, at the HRM Asia events. That's basically what I do is I run around the world um, sharing <laughs> the data each time. And what I tell people is when they participate in this research that it does take a lot of investment and time, but you get so much out of it. I've had I have people who have taken the survey now, literally, who have been in their jobs and have taken it for over fifteen years, and every year feel like that it adds value to what they're trying to do in their organization. So that's mm. that's to me the best recommendation you could have for a survey.
0: Absolutely, uh, and the sizes of the organization. You say you have all types of sizes mm-hmm. nowadays. So how how small to when do you think it's valuable to share data and get data back? Yeah, so that's a good question.
1: Um, so we originally used to do the cutoff at around 200, and then we went down to 50 employees. Currently now, we actually take all data. We, even if you're a, a company of two or three, we're finding that organizations are leapfrogging right over manual paper-based processes, and they're getting HR technology as some of the first technology inside their businesses, right? So we Mm -hmm. track even if you're using Quicken as your payroll system, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or if you're using some local small tool because what we find is we want to see that progression of of changes as you grow and mature in organizations. And that's part of the power of the research. Um, This year, we had over 5,000 responses to our survey, even though it's a very large survey. And we had over, uh, after we clean, because we clean the data extensively, we don't just take responses. We go through and make sure they're valid, make sure the companies are valid, make sure the people are valid even the smallest companies. It takes a lot of effort on our research team to go in and and make sure we get publicly supported validation data. And um, so we had companies as small, I think our smallest was maybe three employees um, uh, that we had in the data set this year. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't discount people because of how small. Sometimes we'll have like a one single person who will take it, who is a consultant for a larger firm that happens and so as long as we can validate that the firm that they're doing the data on is a valid firm, we'll take that sometimes too. But I think the smallest one we had this year is an actual company was, was three employees. But we go all the way up to the largest companies in the world, right? We get you know the British healthcare system, largest employers in the world, right? Some of those organizations, massive, Amazon and Google. And, and so what's been interesting is to, is to get this wide breadth of data and then to have over 250. 2515 individual companies because we do as if it's more than one person who answers from a single company we will consolidate that data down That's when you really start to get a sense of what's happening in the market right mm-hmm. it, you know you know what percentage of companies are really adopting the HR technology um, what's the difference between sort of a, a company of 50 employees versus a company of 500 versus a company of 5,000 and 10,000 and there are some really distinct differences and, and I think that's it's important that the research you know acknowledges that.
0: And you said how many different categories of solutions in the report right now? There's 56 different
1: categories. So that and that includes all of like the social technology that people are using. That includes all of the sort of variations underneath, sort of core HR talent, um, time management, even the the uh, um, analytics and planning, which is a lot of different layers in that, right? Because people are still using a lot of um, uh, technology that's off the shelf in some cases, and then the emerging technologies. Then we have another. I think we're at twelve this year now. Twelve applications where we actually get what we call user experience and vendor satisfaction about those applications, and that's what we call our voice—the customer section of the report. We we can't do that on all fifty-six, or that would be the longest survey in creation. <laughs> <laughs> but we do on twelve of the like with like the you know your core H R M S your payroll. Um, your your learning systems, your recruiting systems. We really want to get like the primary tools that you use in those those areas, uh, the user experience and vendor satisfaction ratings on those. And that really is is quite interesting is to understand every year sort of the dynamics between what people feel is creating a good user experience both inside the company as an HR professional and for their employees. But then what's the difference between then that relationship they have with the vendor, which is the vendor satisfaction rating. And then we put that into a quadrant every year. That's our version of of a quadrant if if you have to have one, but everyone always wants one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But um, I'm thinking also, so this must have expanded a lot over the years then with all the categories. What have you seen? What's the history you have seen of the HR systems market? Yeah, that's a really
1: fascinating conversation. And um, one of the nice things about having my own company is that we're starting to build a team behind me, which I which I was so excited. We just hired a director of research this uh, this fall. The wonderful thing and the not so wonderful thing about working for a small firm, which as I was before as a thought leadership piece, is you never had additional resources to do things like look back and do a a year over year analysis, right? Of of sort of how things have changed. Like you generally kind of knew where they were changing, but you didn't look back and do crunched 25 years of data all at once, right? And so mm. we're actually starting to do some of that now. We're starting to look back over the years and we can start to see the, the rise and fall of certain things. So it's been interesting to see this, you know, increasing adoption. You know, when I first took over, I can remember um, Lexi and me having this really heated conversation about would talent management systems ever become sort of a big enough to do voice the customers around at that point in time, right? <laughs> <laughs> because they were yeah. sort of kind of, you know, business unit specific and, you know, people bought their learning solution, but, you know, it, we, you know, we have this whole conversation about it. And so it's been interesting to watch. You know, you watched the core HR and payrolls rise and then sort of, then you saw this really, what I used to call the sexy time for talent management, right? When everybody wanted talent management systems and everybody had a talent management suite, um, that was back in the And then all of a sudden the big firms bought them all up. So SAP bought SuccessFactors and Oracle bought Taleo and, you know, and then you know kind of we, we basically got into this where, oh no, now all the talent suites are actually owned by the ERPs and HRMSs. So now everybody's going back to point solutions. It's never, I would say, a linear journey is what we've seen in our data, right? It's always been this sort of um, this big company sort of it grows to a sort of a big company model. And then what we see is these point solutions come in and say, hey, I've got some really innovative things. And then all of a sudden they start to aggregate and then you start to see the big companies say, oh, I need some of that. And so they buy them. So yes, it has grown over the years, but it's also interestingly enough, done some consolidation too, right? For, for a while, everybody had a talent suite and now that number is much lower than what it used to be. Right. Um, Mm. You know, now we're, you know, everyone might have time in attendance, but do they have um, uh, um, uh, leave and absence? That was something that for a long time we didn't have in the market, but um, COVID created a real need for leave and absence systems to manage that more effectively for a lot of people. And so we, we see um, a lot of um, growth and change in the HR technology market that's really driven by what's happening externally and what is happening by sort of the, the buying market of the actual businesses themselves, which is sort of interesting to watch if you've never sort of looked at it that
0: way. Mm-hmm. Who is the reader of the report? I guess, I mean, if they spend so much time in answering all these questions, I looked at it once for my client that I were with, but I never finished it. So I've started it, (laughs) but you have a lot of people doing it and I really hope that my listeners will do it as well so we can get some data uh, specifically for Sweden or more data for Europe. But who are would, they? Yeah. Yeah. I
1: would love to get like a Sweden specific pocket. I, I told you once that we had actually, it, it was, it was a really unique ex- experience. We had, um, a, 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 an organization out of Russia who'd push for a group of Russian companies to respond to the survey back in the day. And that, you know, that was probably about 10 years ago, but, and we were able to get enough to get a response data set. Now we're doing that with Australia. We do this from time to time and we like to try and keep it going that um, if we can get enough in a particular region, we can give the region back their data, right? And that's really exciting to be able to do that for organizations um, and for um, uh, groups of regional um, professionals who want to get together and have a conversation that's about just the data that makes sense within our country, right? Um, and so what we what we've seen in you know um, the market is that the person who generally um, takes the survey is not the head of your HR function generally, especially, you know, because most surveys, they everybody wants this this the CHRO and the VP of HR to respond, right? And ours is kind of a unique survey in the fact that it's, it's the person who's really at the center of buying and managing your HR technology. For small businesses, that might be each a VP of HR or your CHRO. But in most mid-sized organizations or large organizations, that's more of the director of HRIT, the, m- maybe even it's a, it's a, a manager of, of HR partnership models, but that's over systems. Sometimes it's the HR analytics function. The other thing that we've done over the years too is that for organizations where they really are very large, we, when you go into the survey, the, one of the first things you get asked is, what sections would you like to take? And there's a, I want to take everything. And then you can also limit yourself to, maybe I just want to take recruiting or just want to take analytics or I just want to take um, learning. And that sometimes is helpful too, because then you can sort of send the survey off to some of the people inside your organization. And we see a lot of people who will, who will send it out to like 10 different people. And then we do the collapsing and combining for them. So the person generally who's at the center of it is the HR technology role. But then we do see oftentimes they'll send it out to other people to get more responses one of my favorite things is, and I've gotten on several conference calls with this, people will literally get in a room and answer them together. So they'll like do a lunch and learn kind of thing where they all get together. And so like maybe one person knows one section, another person knows another section, mm-hmm. someone knows all the strategy and they answer it together. And I love that. I've had people a little conference me in while they're doing that. So we did understand this question. How should we answer this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. People get really excited about it, especially because they, they get their benchmarking out of it every year. So I think a lot of people really enjoy doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: And what uh, exactly, they get the benchmarking, where are we versus the world and how does our vendors uh, stack up versus other vendors and so on. But is it anything else that the readers have brought to you as comments?
1: You know, I think the vendor community, most of all, loves the, the voice, the customer and the vendor stacking and ranking. We get, you know, that's their, they love it or they hate it, depending on where they fall in the voice, the customer. <laughs> um, but buyers, generally, you know, that's good when you're getting ready to buy, but you're not always buying, right? So what we've over the years, they've come to us to really ask about the maintenance data, right? Like how how much how long does an update take on average, right? Um, how many resources does it take to manage these systems? Um, so we have a lot of questions about spending budgets each year, um, maintenance models, and resourcing, along with um, the emerging technology areas, which are something people really, they don't oftentimes get that in, in their sort of day-to-day sort of ability to be able to read about everything. Um, I also have, you know, I've gotten some really good feedback from a couple of long-term people who've taken this survey year over year. And one of the things that I, I always found fascinating is that um, a good friend of mine, um, Jim, who always told me, he's, he's, I use this like my annual check-in with my systems He's like, it, it reminds me to ask other departments about what they're using or what they may have bought. It reminds me to think about, you know, am I thinking, you know, you always throw in questions that are unique about data and how you're using it and analytics go. So it reminds me to think a little bit about, you know, am I really optimizing my systems the best way that I can? Um, and then, you know, and he says, and then I get a printout at the end of the, the because you, you can get a printout of the questions at the end of the survey. And he's like, and now every year I've got a, A a list of what systems I had. He goes, I can now go back 10 years and tell (laughs) you what systems I had 10 years ago and show you the progression of my systems all because of your survey data. I said, well, that's nice. I had never thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I do think that when people take it, they at the point of time, it's a lot of work and the mini benchmarks are great and the data is great. It is if you kind of take it year over year where those, those people find value in it over time, because it shows the progression oftentimes of your career or of your company's architecture or of where you've been at inside of organizations. we see a lot of that kind of conversation too. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, how many European uh, answers do you have or Swedish? Maybe, maybe you can't go <laughs> down that low at this point. I, I think we
1: only had like five Swedish headquartered organizations this year. It wasn't, it wasn't enough to even be able to do a, do a sample cut on that. But Again, I said we had over 2,515 responses. Over 7% of our data comes from the European market. So that's still a lot. So about 120 to 150 organizations are headquartered in the US. But we also have 698 global organizations, which means a lot of organizations who might be headquartered elsewhere have employees in those regions. So that data is very all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would love to do, and it's funny because... 7% is, and I used to have about 13% out of the European market of my data set, but that was when I had 1,600 responses. So I actually have the same amount of responses now that I used to get back then. It's just that it's a smaller overall percentage of my data mm. set because Asia Pacific is actually really pushing to get more people to respond to the survey. So we've seen an uptick in that market um, across their various regions and countries. Um, but yeah, no, I am always trying to increase... Um, data and very aware that and and oh, very open minded to the fact that a lot of the systems and I have a very U.S. centric look at things, right? Like mm-hmm. it, one of the reasons I was so excited about working with you, Anna, is that you and I started talking. And it's like I I'm we're creating a network of people who can help me look at the data and give me the perspective because you know you know we all see it through our own lens. That the challenge about data analysis, right, is that it, we can be biased in our own views. And so it's important to me to build a network of of professionals who live in every country and every region who can take a look at our data and say, oh, oh, well, here's why that is that. So one of the data points we got this year that was different, in the US, 48% of the market has um, mobile HR technology. In um, the European market, it is only, what did I say it was? It was 38%, right? I think it was. Mm -hmm. Um, We're mobile at this point. In the Asia-Pacific market, that's down to 29%. Mm. All of that was sort of odd to me because I know how mobile-friendly a lot of those regions are. And I said, boy, and it would be great for us to dig in and figure out why is the European market um, seeing less mobile-specific HR technology than what we're seeing in other regions, right? And um, I could tell you something about
0: resources. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's interesting, but it also, I think it has to do with the legislations in each country not uh, allowing to push uh, that you use your private uh, uh, phones for example so it's always a long debate on how to roll out solutions that are mobile so you might have them but you might not be able to say that you have them or or push them out in uh, in your population
1: See, that's the perfect example, right? There's just that little bit of data on, because there's a million legislations for every country, right? And changes and and, yeah. and regional uh, differences. And I, that's the kind of conversation I'm hoping to have. The more data we get from each region and country, the more we can have that kind of, because um, again, if everybody's pushing mobile, but they're not thinking about the fact that you've got legislation around that, just because the stat says that 50% of the market has mobile, well, that's that's not everyone in the market, right? So mm-hmm. our goal is to make sure that the data feels like each region or country can get something out of it that's unique to them too. So. Mm.
0: so maybe we should jump into, because the the listeners can think about the report as something to look at that are more on the future before we have respondents, because usually U.S. Uh, is further advanced than we are um, with maybe a couple of years. I'm just thinking, what what were your uh, big findings? I mean, now we also passed the pandemic, so it's an interesting time that has passed uh, for this report.
1: Yeah, this, is a, it, this was an interesting year, right? Because, you know, there was, if you go back and look at our report in 2020, there was definitely dips in almost everything. And actually the 2021 was the biggest dip, right? Of talent challenges and, um, you know, productivity was up, but talent was down and engagement was, was down and, and voice the customer was up because vendors were helping people through things. And now we're, we're not, as I tell people, what the data basically showed this year is that we're where we need to be, but we're not back to where we were, right? Mm, okay. <laughs> um, so all of our productivity is up, back up to where we were at, both in HR and business and talent um, uh, outcomes that we had achieved. In 2019, we're back up, and in some cases above that. In all cases, we're seeing still major talent gaps in the European market, which is which are pretty extensive, right? That I think that oftentimes um, get overlooked because I think that the the data in general kind of evens out across all the different regions. But we're we're seeing one of the number one things that I saw this year when we looked at where people were were spending their their spending to increase their overall HR technology spending is still recruiting. A lot of people say, well, why are we still spending it on recruiting if, if we're not hiring as much or even if we're starting to maybe slow down our hiring? Well, our data is showing that people are planning to increase overall spending on recruiting because it didn't work for them in 2021 and 2022. Like the systems they had didn't help them get the people they needed fast enough with the skills they needed. And that became a barrier to actually getting products out and distribution lines and things And so what people are doing is taking this little bit of a lull to fix situations to some extent, right? Mm. The second biggest thing, and this I think is one of the big differentiators of of what we saw in the data between the the different regions this year, is that we definitely saw that over 50% of the EMEA market plan to increase HR technology spending. And that mirrors what we saw on the market at about like 47% of the market overall as aggregate plans to increase over HR technology spending. But the European market also had 15% of it saying they were planning to decrease HR technology spending, which was higher than we saw in any other regions, right? And some of that was because of workforces being reduced, but most of that it looked like was because there was um, a feeling like maybe they had overspent a little bit during the pandemic, maybe invested, uh, they had to shift where they were focusing some of that money a little bit. Um, and so we were seeing sort of a decrease in a pullback from some of the HR technology spending in our data set, not a, not a total market. Like we're going to, we're going to see big, big reductions, more just a slight adjustment, I think. Um, and still a lot of plans to invest in certain areas, like I said, recruiting, but in the European market, what we also saw, which I just really thought was interesting is that the n- number two and three investment areas were learning and training and skills management. Mm-hmm. and yeah. <laughs> that to me, because you, because no, we, we see learning and training and skills management in the top five in the aggregate data and in North American APAC, if you look at it separately, but it's always sort of the fourth and fifth, right? It's not right at the top, right after the recruiting. And I think that really, again, goes back to this talent gap that mm-hmm. the European market is probably facing. And then after that, you know, and I think the, um, the benefits and wellness is probably has to do more with some of the regions that don't offer healthcare, and it's more like this This new, we're looking at sort of the, the additional things like mental health wellness, right, that goes into that. So we're seeing some of that investment. And then we are seeing more HRMS. Um, if you look globally at the data, the HRMS market is not seeing a flip, more of payroll and time management. People are planning to replace a lot of those systems um, across the board. But the European market is one of the markets that has not, what we would say, totally transform their HR tech. You were saying that they were behind. I don't know that it's behind per se as much as it is. is A lot of the HR technology, even in the market, even those that come out of the um, uh, different regions, is very US-centric in its design. Um, And so one of the things that we had talked about was like contingent workforces. Um, Most HR technology... Um, treats it as a, as a separate module, not as part of the, the recruiting or the, the primary um, HR system. And yet we know in the European market, contingent workforce is a big part of how you build your workforce initially, right? Because mm. it takes a lot longer to bring people into an organization and it takes a lot longer if you need to um, reduce your workforce. And we don't have that issue in the States, don't have that issue as much in the Asia Pacific market. And so they just haven't built contingent workforce models into the HR technology model Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of what Europe So one of the things we find is that the systems are very um, differently centered. And so a lot more tools have to be connected and integrated. And so a lot more integrations, a lot more global needs, a lot cross-border issues that you don't have in some of the other regions, right? And so I think that is why we, we saw sort of a, a less, they were less likely the European market to completely overhaul and replace HRMSs. And here, at least in our data, we're seeing that that, that's starting to happen. We're starting to see HRMSs um, go from maybe what might be a locally owned or a smaller HRMS. You may now be thinking about a more global or a more um, broader HRMS that has more tools with it, like talent management or time and attendance built into it, those kind of things. So those are some of the big themes that we saw this year come out of it. Mm.
0: So I also um, thought it was a bit interesting about you. I think you mentioned about uh, the uh, the experience of the teams uh, uh, that has dropped. Um, so the people who work in these areas, HR tech, does that have to do with that there are more people that we need? That more people are taking on technology or. What has ha- have, do you have anything on that?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one. So we, we ask a lot of demographic questions about our um, people who participate in our survey. And uh, because we want to understand the, mar- the people who are, who are were not only serving from a, a data perspective, but also who are making the decisions every day on the HR technology environments. Um, and what we found is that this year, we saw a 30% drop in um, HR technology professionals who had 10 or more years of experience on the job. Um, and that fit very, very much with what we saw globally happening in the market is that, which is a lot of professionals were moving, either made the decision to move out of their jobs and didn't go back into similar job roles and or <clears throat> completely just left the market as a whole and went into either um, starting their own businesses or or retired completely because they were able to figure out how to do it because they had caretaking duties that they had to put in place. And so we lost, I would say, almost like a full generation to some extent of mm. HR technologists and HR leaders who had the background and the understanding of the data and why we bought the systems and how we built those systems. And so, yes, I do think there is more people who are asking for HR technology. And so you are seeing people move jobs a little bit more, but I do think we saw just, we just saw a lot of people say this. If I can leave the workforce, I'm leaving the workforce or I'm going into something else that I'm more passionate about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that happened in all regions, in all countries. I don't think that was an individual country model we saw. Um, obviously having pensions and retirement and that, that makes it a little bit harder, I think, in the European market. But even here, we saw a lot of people sort of taking advantage of whatever options they had to be able to to, to go in different directions. And the the other side of that, which I thought was quite interesting, is that when you look at the data here in the European market, um, we had generally it's about 50-50 um, uh, females versus males who take the survey, right? And in some cases, slightly more females than the HR if you're an HR professional, right? In the European market, it is definitely uh, a much higher percentage of males who take our survey mm-hmm. than females who take our survey. And so one of the questions I have seen is, you know, are we also seeing a shift in, in demographics as well? Um, in, in a lot of different cases with the HR technology market, Um, along with the generational shift, along with the knowledge shifts, we're seeing more certifications being picked up, right? So we used to be at just about 48% of the market that had certifications. We're now over 50% in aggregate. And again, European market is much higher. I think they're at like, it's um, 55% or something like that who have a certification of some format in in HR technology. So I do think it's an interesting shift where we're seeing people who who need more skills, who are coming from different backgrounds and who are... um, who are who are changing how they think about HR technology inside of companies?
0: Hmm. And we need to stop here because we are over time. <laughs> I have I'm so sorry. many. I could continue forever and yeah. asking questions, but I just want to point out before uh, leaving you is that the report is free to download. Yeah. So I will put a link in, in the podcast texts and also on our homepage as well. So people can find it and download it. And uh, I hope people get interested to also uh, answer it. And it will come out again for, when is it opening again?
1: Yep. So the new survey will be out um, starting uh, May 9th. You'll start to see, our, uh, we have a distributors, a large distribution network. who can distribute it starting May 9th um, and it will run through July 1st. And, um, yes, please, if you, you know, I'll continue to, to talk, you know, Ann and I will be having ongoing conversations to figure out how we can get more, uh, Sweden headquartered specific organizations, because we'd love to be able to come out and give you guys sort of your own data set and, and maybe even, and do some conversations locally around that data and maybe even some more podcasts around it. Mm -hmm. Um, but any questions that your community has about, you know, sort of the survey itself, um, please feel free to, to send them my way. I'm, I'm available on LinkedIn. I'm available at uh, Stacey Harris. You can look me up. Um, and on Twitter at Stacy Harris HR. Um, I love to have conversations about the research and I'm open to it. We did find out that I was very poor at speaking Swedish. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we will have to do it mostly in um, English. Um, but because uh, when I was in Stockholm, I, I uh, uh, struggled a little bit with trying to get the trains right. <laughs>
0: no worries i can assist yeah. with a translation if that okay. is needed of course yeah. yes so thank you so much for attending and uh, looking forward to work together yep definitely
1: thanks everyone
0: för att just du har lyssnat podden levereras av HR digitaliseringsgruppen och jag som pratar heter Anna Karlsson vi har fokus på att underlätta digitalisering för dig inom HR genom att erbjuda vår kunskap i form av poddande, konsultstöd utbildning och mentorskap och på det sättet skapar vi tillsammans en digital framtid för HR du hittar info om både podden och gruppen på hrdigi.se